0: So yeah, um, welcome to our latest in our Standing in the Rubble and the part of Standing in the Rubble, this part we're looking at spiritual disciplines, looking at um, working out how we um, dig into some of the disciplines and form a spiritual formation, character formation um, in our souls. And um, today I am joined by Joe Herbert James. Hello. Familiar to many of you, I imagine. Great to see you again, Jo.
1: Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks.
0: You uh, you grew up, you were part of YCC. um, All those um, years ago when you lived in Yeovil.
1: Yeah, when I was uh, 17, I was brought along to the youth group and became Christian. And uh, YCC became my home. I still very much count it as my home. Uh,
0: yeah. And uh, then you spent a bit of time in London working for Tier Fund. Um, you've been traveling around the world uh, working for Tear Fund. I'm trying to, um, yeah, well, why don't you talk about that? What what, what 15
1: were you years for Tear Fund. Um, I went for six months uh, and that, so that didn't work out um but uh yeah so I I did 15 years there and worked in the youth team young adult team um and spent a lot of time talking about God's heart for people living in poverty uh around justice issues and environment particularly and other kinds of things and uh, lots of that is obviously very theological and I got more and more curious and I so I went off and did a master's uh in theology around this kind of stuff and and since then i've been in the theology and networks engagement team has had more of a global role which is done where i've done more of the traveling but having these kind of theological conversations at that level which is obviously a lot of fun um including bringing the justice conference to the uk uh, and now i've just moved from london a few weeks ago to cardiff uh and that is to start a phd so,
0: Amazing. So you moved to Cardiff in the middle of lockdown.
1: Yeah. I don't recommend doing that.
0: <laughs> Difficult to make friends in lockdown, I imagine. Meet your neighbours, you know, get out and about.
1: I so, know, exactly. We've met one neighbour, but most of the others seem to stay in their homes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, New City and now PhD, um, looking at theology and
1: Yeah faith and ecology is the focus um but incorporating that you know all the issues of justice um and really looking at both for evangelical theological framework to engage with the different issues
0: amazing yeah. quite a journey
1: <laughs> indeed quite a journey. it's not where i thought i would end up <laughs> and i <laughs> haven't ended yet hopefully so no. you know
0: we'll still, see where it all goes still journeying and um yeah. So, yeah. So we met 17 years ago um, at YCC. You were um, trying to support the youth um, through transition and doing amazing things. And then, yeah. So we we've known each other since then. We've known, each, and just for me, a bit of a no-brainer on who to come to when we're looking at spiritual disciplines and. Um, fasting and frugality, simplicity, um, how to forge some of these things, how to work out some of these things in our life. Um, I just think I'm excited to hear the wisdom, um, insight experiences, um, that you have to share with us. So, um, so yeah, fasting, frugality, simplicity, um, well, big, big topics. Um, but probably I would. They don't say,
1: sound exciting words though, do they?
0: No, I was going to say they're not words that get people excited generally. Um, yeah, like, oh
1: yeah, simplicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah fasting. You get you <laughs> Get that reaction?
0: No, not often. So why? Why? Uh, like, why, why? don't you talk to us about what? What's your journey been um, with that? Um, as you've, from becoming a Christian all the way through to um, studying now, um, which obviously has a much more justice element to it. But um, what's your journey been around fasting and what role has it played for you personally?
1: Well, I partly blame Steve Gaylord uh, for my journey with fasting. So, um... You know, in a, in a nutshell, when I became a Christian, uh, I was excited about prayer, um, and particularly um, Steve Gaylord, there were a few of us in the youth that he taught us to pray, really, um, and we did crazy things, and we used to get up really early before sixth form and pray and go on prayer walks and things like that, and one of the things that he taught us was around fasting, um, and it was very, I mean, it, it was more than Steve, it was very commonly practiced in the church. Um, And, you know, it was something that I was kind of taught as a part of faith. And actually, I had grown up with my uh, observing my dad fasting about once a week. Um, And it didn't really mean much to me other than once a week he uh, didn't eat dinner with us. Um, So I didn't really have any more, much more reflection on it than that. Um, Fasting, but I'm really grateful um, for Steve and others teaching. Uh, because it's something that I just thought that and generosity, actually giving, um, was just taught to me immediately. This is a part and practice of faith, uh, and particularly those two disciplines I've just continued with, and so now we're talking. Oh gosh, twenty years later, um, I still practice those things because it never occurred to me that I should ever stop, um, and over that time there's something um that forms in you and formation happens over time and so there's lots i can say about that but uh we often think in our immediate world and these are the narratives the world have schooled us more than the bible often um that there are quick fixes and there isn't these sorts of things disciplines spiritual disciplines are supposed to travel with us through life and um if i'd fasted i so I've still fast roughly once a week and pretty much um have done that throughout and if i'd done that for if i would just fasted once for example i'm not sure i'd have the reflections that i have now uh if I'd even if I'd done it for a year, and just like habitually done it for a year, maybe I mean even five years, we're talking twenty years later. This is still a regular part of my life, and actually, and it will continue to be. Um, it forms something in you that no, you can't cheat. You can't time can't cheat that. You can't do it any other way.
0: And is it always? Um, I think fasting. We always think about food, don't we? We always think about. I'm not going to eat for this meal or for this day or um, whatever. But obviously, it can be more than about food, can't it? We can practice this sort of discipline around different aspects. Um, yeah. Whether that's around clothing or shopping or yeah. people doing fasting around some of the other senses. And um, Do you have any experience of any of that stuff? Is that something you explored or studied
1: absolutely so um there are i think there are lots of different thoughts out there schools of thoughts opinions approaches to fasting Um, and to an extent i i think yeah it's very broad and you can engage with it at different levels in different ways and um you know things like fasting from technology is good or you know like we said fasting from um you know various different things we uh have a tradition certainly in the christian faith, during lent where we fast from different stuff that isn't hopefully people don't fast for the whole 40 days well some people may um we did do that with steve once um anyway that's another story but uh you know we so we have an approach to fasting now i think what is really important to understand partly is Uh, there is something um, quite profound about fasting from food that teaches you something that you can uh, apply to a lot of different aspects. Now, the appetite is very powerful. Appetite and desire um, are very powerful aspects of who we are and who God has made us to be and they are very deeply connected to a lot of different things. Um, appetite, um, like our, our food appetite and our sexual appetite can often be very connected. Um, and uh, particularly when we think about uh, aspects of consumerism and we can come on to some of that, um, works very cleverly uh, by engaging our desires. And so when we are able to learn to control desire in a way that we are submitting it to God, um, that is a very powerful thing that it creates in us and therefore enables us to become transformed people that can go on to do other things. So I think fasting from different certain things is very important. And it's something that I practice as well. I've done various different things around Lent and other things over time. Um, but I think there is something very distinct about fasting from food um, that it leads on to those different aspects as well. And people may disagree with me that, with that. Um, and I, that's fine. I'm fine with that. But yeah. I think that's something very profound about.
0: And when we see fasting in scripture, it's around food right that's the yeah. that's what it that's what it's talking about and um i just yeah i'm, I'm interested that you know I, th- I think it is possible for us to do fast other things you know technology is a is a good one it's something rachel and i um talk about a little bit at the moment going well what if we had a day um mm-hmm. technology free a week like right? how would that help our rhythm because we're on social media and we're on technology like this all the time, um,
1: <laughs> and here
0: we are. <laughs> I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But the um, you were touching there on that the food, you know, the food thing relates to appetite, relates to discipline, relates to submitting things to God. Like, so what? Why is that a good thing? What does that? What does that form in us? What does that forge in us? What does that? What does that create in us?
1: What um. So as in, what does the fasting create in us? What does it forge in us? Yeah. Um, so there are so many different things, but essentially uh, it teaches me very profoundly uh, in a very tangible way uh, that what I need to live by is God and God alone more than I need food. And food is our most basic, food and water, most basic things. The air we breathe. Um, to sustain us and when I weekly say no no I have an even bigger need than that Uh, it is forming something in me it's teaching me my practices now we have often in evangelical Christianity you know much not just evangelical Christianity to be fair but we definitely um, exemplify that these days a separation between what is spiritual and what is material um And this is talked about much more these days um, and you know and so sort of that come a lot of that comes from Greek worldviews and other things um, but uh we need to embody our faith because uh just um an ethereal faith and just a thought through faith is never enough. It has to be practiced and embodied, and so when I'm practicing something, my body feels something. God gave us bodies, he gave us minds and souls, but he gave us bodies as well. And my body feels something that my body thinks my need, my absolute essential is food and water. Uh, But when I say no, no, there is something, by the discipline of resisting that, I'm saying there is something more that I need than the very basics then that is driving something deep in my whole being, both physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, psychologically, where I say my need is for God. What this also does is form in me the ability to resist and the ability to live within limits. And so what I'm doing, no one's really looking or no one really cares whether I'm fasting each week or not. This is, you know, this is me and God and I have done it with others in the past, but primarily um, these are self imposed limits that I live by. Now, those of you who know me will know uh, my sort of crazy journeys with living towards a zero waste lifestyle over the last sort of six or so years. Um, And I kind of started doing this before everyone was talking about zero waste, and it just sounded a bit crazy. And I actually thought it was a bit crazy as well. Um, But what I very quickly learned was. A zero waste lifestyle so that's essentially trying to live with sending nothing to landfill so producing no rubbish um is you have to learn with, to live within limits and these are self-imposed limits and you know what even more than fasting what i learned through living a zero waste lifestyle is it exposed my heart to me in a way that nothing else had and there were little things that quite frankly, I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to give up. And one of the things early on was I was like, wait, if I'm living zero waste and so I not, you know, having things wrapped in plastic, how am I gonna eat chocolate? I'm not even like a massive chocolate fiend. Like I don't know, but I would say I don't want to I don't wanna not eat that. Because I was making a decision about a lifestyle. This wasn't a 40-day zero waste thing, this was about the rest of my life. And I was like, but God, I don't want to, I don't, I, and I argued with God for about two weeks and I was like, I don't want to not eat chocolate. And, and at the end of all of that, I mean, it was shameful, really. I genuinely, this took me a couple of weeks and I just and got to the point where I realized if I'm not willing to lay something down when I feel like God has asked me to, what does the Bible call that?
0: Idolatry.
1: Idolatry and i was like oh because i don't even feel like i have an issue with chocolate i don't overeat chocolate i don't actually have that much of a sweet tooth these days but there was something that i found so hard to lay down in the ultimate pursuit of god and and obedience to god and i found this over and over and over again through zero waste and you know what enabled me to continue pursuing it as i started to realize quite quickly all the things that i'd learned from fasting self-imposed limits that i have a greater need than even the basic needs i was able to transfer into this kind of lifestyle and essentially i learned to control my appetite and whether that is an appetite for stuff uh, and this is this is true. Um, and actually, a recent conversation with somebody, uh, you know, reminded me of this. Uh, our appetite for sex and porn. So Pete, uh, my husband, was listening to a testimony from a guy who was saying, when he became a Christian, fasting was probably the one thing that enabled him to get past his pornography addiction. Addiction, because you learn to control your appetite and you learn to submit yourself. And to God and to live within his limits, not our own. Because the world will tell you anything goes. Our Western world. Our Western narrative will tell you anything is okay, everything is toler- tolerable, but do not impose a limit on somebody. That's what it won't tolerate. You can do anything you like, but you can't limit someone. But God says, Come into my limits, and you'll find life. And so we have to fight this narrative in our Western society that says that you don't need limits. And God says you do, and fasting teaches you that.
0: I'm really interested in that, that countercultural um, aspect to fasting, frugality, simplicity in this world that is always telling us um, that we need more, that we're, um, we're 20, 20% away from having enough. Um, that, we're, um, that, we're, that we should always look up at the person who's got more than us, rather than look at the person who's got less than us. I'm um, really interested in this, this countercultural um, aspect of this, because as we stand in this rubble world, this new world that's emerging, um, the, the things we've put our faith in as a society. haven't haven't made it through have they like we're not we're not um like it's not worked so um and here we are kind of going oh actually the people that we didn't value are now we really value them and the people that we didn't prioritize we really prioritize them And and the things that we thought were really important actually aren't that important we can manage without but the things that we've forgotten about like relationship and community and neighbors and whatever oh suddenly they're really important and um yeah. and actually money can only do you so much but it's not gonna it's not gonna, and we're living in a world at the moment which is asking a lot of questions about what we prioritize and there's something that you're saying there that i'd love you to talk a bit more about about the counter cultural nature of this of this discipline and maybe speak more into the the frugality the um the simplicity how do we how do we practice um some of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, what the first thing to say is that it's yes, it's countercultural, um, but it's in many ways it's counter our uh very selves. So man's first sin. God says have anything. There's this one limit. One limit. And that is what Adam and Eve couldn't achieve was to live within the one limit. And so it's first important to say this is, yes, it's counter cultural in terms of the Western society that we live in, uh, but it's also counter often our human nature. We do always want more. Uh, and this myth and this promise of more isn't the promise of God, it's another promise. And what is really important, first off, is we need to recognize that we need to call it out even when we're like having the too much and you can't quite stop yourself it's important it's part of the process and at some point there will be some cognitive dissonance that kind of kicks in when you're like now I know it is and then now this time I will stop and then the next time you might not get it right but then you will um I think you know in terms of wider elements of regality um again it comes back to this ability to control the desire um and so desire is a powerful force imagination and desire are two elements that god has given us um and again this is how advertising works so it plays on your imagination advertisers say imagine how great your life would be if you wore these clothes imagine how great your life would be if you drove this car if you had this newest technology if you had whatever the next thing is imagine how great your life would be and what that imagination does is stirs up desire and desire is one of the most powerful things that God has given us and it was designed to be fully fulfilled by God and God alone and so when our desire is stirred up for the clothes, the car, the technology, it might even be the experience, the ski holiday, the I don't know, beach holiday, the whatever, the experience, then our desire is directed towards that. And that ultimately is misdirecting us towards God. Desire was designed to be fully fulfilled by God and God alone. And so, again, frugality partly, you know, is learning to say, I don't need that because actually I want to leave capacity for the kingdom in me. Because your capacity, your desires, well, there, there's only so much. And so if that is distracted by many other things, there is a very personal aspect to this. However, there is a very global thing. And um, we were having a little pre-chat. Um, and uh, again, those who know me will know I can't do a talk these days without talking about the book of Leviticus, um, and which I know is all of your bedtime reading. Um, and so, what you find in Leviticus and all of the Torah is the priesthood and the rules, really, and the ways of life and the rituals for the priesthood to live by. Um, and what you learn within there, this is really the blueprint of what it meant to be the people of God and how they were to live. One of the core aspects of that, or well, the three of the core aspects, was social justice, social cohesion, and creation care. Those three things are right there in the blueprint of what it meant to be the people of God. As a community, they practiced social justice. They practiced this cohesion as a community, a reliance on the community. They practiced care for creation. Now, when we stop practicing those things, that has huge implications. Now, when we stop practicing frugality or, you know, limiting what we use from creation, we are now at a point, fast forward however long it's taken, and not not that long, um, 50 to 60 years really, to see the increase of um, uh, resources being used. Uh, We now have, we are at global crisis levels, because we have used so much we haven't lived within our limits. So there's some science around this um, called planetary boundaries and this came out maybe sort of five years ago or something. Um, and they were looking at these I think eight boundaries that the planet has. and it essentially so the climate change is the global warming is one aspect of that. We raise to a certain temperature, there's a boundary and if we go beyond that, I well, don't know what's going to happen. but actually that's one there's also some other boundaries about and you if you look it up you just um search for it um and you'll see it's like a circular thing and it tells you where we're at towards our boundaries but land use being another one nitrogen levels in the sea being another one and it says if we don't live within these limits we will ultimately destroy ourselves and destroy our planet and so again there is a principle to live by here if we do not live within limits we will ultimately self-destruct and we know that in different parts of our lives don't we if we eat and eat and eat and eat without limits what happens we you know we we will do ourselves some serious damage um and you know whether that's you know very bad malnutrition or obesity or whatever it leads to this is that's really important um we, already mentioned porn and sex but it's, these things without limits become self-destructive and so frugality you don't just practice it in one part of your life and then think that every other part of your life is going to be fine and we're slightly uh foolish if we think that although i catch myself doing it all the time wow oh, i you know i'm really careful around this or i limit myself around that you know, spending even, how well are we budgeting, that kind of thing. You know, if we met someone that didn't live by a budget, we would think, oh, you're crazy. Like what, you know, unless you're just an absolute multimillionaire, like, of course, you need a budget. Of course, you need to live within a limit. The planet needs us to live within limits. God designed us to live within his limits so that all of creation would thrive. But we're in a situation where some of us sort of Thrive, the richest, you know, few percent in the world, we have and live to absolute excess. But the majority of the world live in poverty. The majority of the world don't have enough access to water. One in four health clinics do not have. One in four health clinics around the world do not have access to safe water. Health clinics. We have a water scarcity issue globally. We do not look after resources. If we don't live within limits, this has a knock-on effect. This individualised narrative that we've absorbed is not how the world works. It's not how God designed the world to work. He's designed it interconnected. He designed us to look after one another. So when we look after self, it has a knock-on effect on your community. And again, in the priesthood, you find this. The Israelites knew that, uh, but somehow we've forgotten that.
0: Mm. And I think that, you know, we... Well, I see. We say the way of Jesus cannot be lived in isolation. We understand. I think we we have an understanding that it's important that we figure this stuff out together. Um, and yet, at the same time, I think you know fasting can often be viewed as quite a private, personal discipline. So um, maybe frugality is a bit of a private, personal discipline. Like how? What does it mean? Um, a. How do we? you know for for the people who are watching this who are going well I've never tried fasting or I've never you know I've am really you know been really challenged or inspired by what you've said um can I go well where do I start how do I start um and I think I'd love you to speak into that a little bit how how do individuals get started on this but then also how do we walk this together with each other? How do we do this as communities? Um
1: so First off, I would say, if you're new to this, go find someone who already fasts and is yeah. already... Yeah.
0: Sorry? Gaylord, someone like
1: that. Yeah. You know, you just... Steve Um, <laughs> It's going to get everyone come to it now. Um, they you know, find somebody, just go and ask someone and ask, them, ask to do it with them. Because accountability... We know this again, don't we? And many other parts of our faith is really important. But actually, that's not just a part of our faith. So if you were going off to get fit um, and you'd never really done any exercise, I hadn't done any for 10 years, what would you do? You go find someone that's a bit better and you say, can I tag along? Um, And you might go for your first run and, you know, they're not breaking a sweat. But you might not run that whole run. And so the first time you fast, you might not last the whole day. You might have to just fast one meal and you build on it. It's like any other muscle. So you, you start it. I think you start it, you review it, you set goals and you review those and you hit them and then you set new goals. And that's part of the way that you can do this. Um, but I think doing it in community is really important. Again, the Israelites practice their faith. Together. Um, And this kind of, you know, again, I'd sort of, I'd often challenge some of this sort of private aspects of faith. Um, And not that I don't think there is anything, you know, there are elements of a private faith, but the Bible, I don't know if it knows of the kind of private faith that we talk about in the West. I don't know of it in the Bible. Uh and so not that there isn't things that we share with God that I just saw, because you the Bible does know of that, but it doesn't know of a privately practiced faith.
0: So just to then so someone might say to that, um, but what about when it says don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing, or don't let um how does that um because you know, some some people like to give, for instance, giving is a Discipline is a spiritual discipline, one that we're talking about in this series. And some of you go, well, actually, it's really important that we give privately, that we don't go around um, boasting. I guess the communal aspect is that we might say as a church, oh, we need to give to this thing, and then everyone gives what they feel they're to give, and collectively we give. Um, But um, what does that look like, maybe? Or how do you answer that um, pushback on, well, yeah, but it says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand's
1: doing. And um, Yeah, and firstly, I'd say, I mean... You can pick any aspect of the Bible. You can prove text. We call it proof text, and we pluck a verse, and we take it out of its context, and we apply it to something else. That is possible any which way. Um, the, so I would say when you look at how the Israelites practiced faith and the early church practiced their faith, it was together. However, that not knowing what the left hand uh, and right hand is doing Is also, and what it, you know, go and pray with your door closed is another thing. Um, You know, Paul writes about, doesn't he, the thorn that's in his side. He never actually discloses what that is, but that thing that's between him and God. So that's not to say that absolutely everything needs to be certainly not public, Mm. although I think probably most things should at least have someone you're accountable to. yeah, because I'd say, yeah, I don't, and it, and it says also about fasting. When you're fasting, you don't go out wearing sackcloth and ashes and moan to everyone of like, oh, I'm so hungry. fasting for the Lord. Um, you know, often people won't know when I'm fasting, and I've I, I, I dinner, for other people when I'm fasting, um, I you know, and I sort of just blend in most of the time. But I also talk like this about the fact that I fast. I will talk very openly about the fact that I give. I think that is incredibly important spiritual discipline. Um, You, I'm I'm not printing out my bank statement for you and showing it to you, Um, but I will tell you that I give, and you should be holding me accountable that I give, Uh, because this is about this is about us becoming faithful followers of Christ, and it is also about recognizing. Um, and I think also at the same time, slaying the ego, actually, that I can do all of this on my own, that I don't really need anybody else, that I have a, you know, willpower of steel and I will just do all of that. No, of course not. My human nature and, you know, sneak a little snack when I'm fasting. I, I want to really, um, you know, because there's still after 20 years, I don't wake up. On my fasting days and go, woo! <laughs> fasting day today. I, you'd think after 20 years I might, but nope. Still, still nope. I need accountability, and so you might not need to see my exact bank balance or my actual diary day and my meal planning when I'm fasting, but I want you to ask me, and we should be encouraging that with one another. Mm-hmm. And it's very vulnerable to ask people to ask you. Uh, And it's very vulnerable to ask another, but I would be saying we should do that. We should be practising that as a church. And that's not just in these areas, that's in many other areas as well, especially areas around um, appetite. So whether that be, and that actually can be food. Are we eating too much food? Um, Are we not eating enough food? Um, Things around sexual appetite, things about giving, are you you buying excessive? to fulfill a need and a desire in you are you pursuing the next holiday we should be talking about this with each other and we need to learn to break taboos because the bible doesn't know of a faith that it is so private that i hear the western church talk about mm. and when i go to different parts of the world i don't hear it i do not hear it it's only in the western world we are an anomaly And that's not to say that nothing can be private or nothing is shared between trusted accountability partners, because that's, don't hear me wrong. Um, But we practice faith together and rituals were practiced in community all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, because Scripture knows that without the discipline of doing it with others, one person won't achieve it on their own over a lifetime you just won't no matter how good you think you are you won't you need a community to cheer you on habits are formed with people rituals are formed in community
0: yeah no absolutely it's, and it's a really good challenge and I think it's a um and you know particularly I guess in our western world at the moment which is so individualistic um to to practice that um, sense of community and that depth of accountability and that spurring to other on is a is a prophetic act in our um in our, in our communities and is a spiritual act uh, joe thank you so much for taking the time to impart your wisdom um your experience your stories um you are um, much loved at ycc as you know and um we look forward to you coming back and sharing more wisdom when you're able to do so physically
1: Thanks. It's been great to chat, as you can tell. I can talk about this stuff all day. But uh, hello yep. to everyone I know and to those that I don't know. I will be back soon when we're allowed to travel again.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: Thanks.